Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Doing very well. Much better than last week, actually. Okay, the weather's improved. Things it has, better. yeah. Actually, you know what? The sun has come out. Okay, um, in the week. Nice. It's had a in... week to come out. And, it's and it, has. It. it has. It okay. hasn't let me down. How about you? Yeah, I'm doing very well, thank you. I've got a fresh coffee, obviously. It's definitely not my second of the day, and I'm <laughs> raring to get going. So what are we talking about today, Peter? Well, actually, we're, we're similar to last week, we're doing mm-hmm. another investigator specific episode. Mm, yes. And we're doing everyone's favourite combination uh, Guardian Seeker. Oh my one, goodness. One everyone's been waiting for. Here Who is we it, Frank? Go. It's Joe Diamond. Yay! The private investigator. At last. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Man. Never gets old. So, Joe Diamond, the private investigator. He's such an action man, isn't he? His art is amazing. Two willpower, four intellect, four combat, two agility. Detective traded. He's got quite a long text box. He's got eight, eight health and six sanity. His text box reads forced. When the investigation phase begins, reveal the top card of your hunch deck. Until the end of the phase, you may play that card as if it were in your hand at minus two cost. If it's still revealed at the end of the phase, shuffle it back into your hunch deck. Elder sign effect plus one. You may move an insight event from your discard pile to the bottom of your hunch deck. A lot to pass there, I think. Yes. Even if we don't look at the back of his his card, we know that he has something called a hunch deck. We know that we see the top card of it when the investigation phase begins, but we can only play it in the investigation phase, so not in Mythos, Enemy, or Upkeep. We get a two-cost reduction, which is good, and if we don't play it, the deck shuffles, whatever this hunch deck is. Kind of interesting. And then we also know that his Elder Sign can add insight events to the bottom of the hunch deck. So if we weren't to play the hunch on our hunch deck, whatever we put to the bottom with the Elder Sign would then get shuffled in. But if we were to keep playing hunches, we'd just have to get through this hunch deck to get whatever card we've added to the bottom. I think those are the salient points. (laughs) (laughs) What about that stat line? Yeah, well, it's a classic 2-2-4-4, isn't he? Mm. Now, I remember when he was first announced, or we first got to see him, Everyone immediately jumped to saying this is like the perfect solo stat line. Mm. Because intellect 4 and combat 4 means he can realistically fight and he can realistically find clues, uh, even without too much um, help from from stat boosts. So he's got a, a decent intellect and a decent combat. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that was quite, quite reflected in how he performs on the table. I think he's still a, a fine... Uh, solo investigator, but I think a lot of people said, oh, well, he's just ridiculously good solo, because mm. he can do both those things really well. Yeah. I have not found that to be the case. I found him to be very good, yeah, but not ridiculous. Yes. Exactly, yes. I, I think it's it's interesting seeing him in action because he, he, he is okay at both those things, mm-hmm. but not fantastic at both, and certainly not fantastic at both at the same time. Yes. Very true. Also with twos in his defensive stats, like Tony Morgan, the Mythos can really slap you around to the degree that it can sap you actions, resources, cards, damage, horror in a way that you can't do too much about. 
I'd yeah. almost like his stat line to be one five five one, so that he was really stellar in the things that he's meant to be good at, and then you could really accept that willpower and agility were dump stats. But yeah. As it is, they're not quite dump stats. They're, there's something you can work with there, but they're also not anything to write home about. I played alongside Joe. My first experience of Joe was blind through the circle undone, mm. and we had Joe and Preston in that in that group, as you can as you probably remember. Yeah. And yeah. we really struggled in the mythos phase throughout the entire scenario, oh, the yeah. entire campaign. Oh, all uh, the hexes and things. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah. You've got a combined yes. willpower of three. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and then a combined agility of three. Oh. Um, yeah, wasn't that's, easy. that's punishing. So straight away it makes me think one person that Joe is, really likes to pair with is, say, a mystic or a high willpower survivor who can soak up some of those treacheries or find ways to protect Joe from the mythos because he's really susceptible to it. But yeah, I mean, I think the fours in combat and intellect, that's, it's pretty exciting. You think, okay, I can make him into a decent fighter, I can make him into a decent cluer, and it's then really working out how much you do of either of those things that's quite interesting it's also yeah. worth noting he's really our like our first fighty seeker maybe our only fighty seeker unless <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i mean he's got guns in his art for goodness sake he does yeah yeah and i think even just from a thematic point of view i quite like that he's he's a seeker i mean we've talked about this kind of thing before but but you could put a level 0 uh roller banks deck directly into joe mm. pretty much yeah uh, and you know maybe even still have a decent a decent game out of it yeah but i think thematically the fact that he's a seeker sort of emphasizes that he's looking for answers rather than he's you know wanting to fight or wanting to protect mm-hmm. yes yeah and there's that there's that subtle difference between him and roland roland when he protects the party by killing an enemy finds things whereas joe wants to f- find things and maybe he also fights along the way is yeah my understanding of it let's flip him over because we've already started this comparison with Roland. yeah okay we have deck size 40 mm. which is unusual deck building options seeker cards level zero to five guardian cards level zero to two and neutral cards level zero to five requirements detective uh, detectives cult uh, 1911s Unsolved case and one random basic weakness. Additional requirements. Your deck must include at least 11 insight events, including unsolved case. During the setup of each scenario, you must choose 11 insight events from your deck, one of which must be the unsolved case, and shuffle them into a separate hunch deck. So he has that 40-card deck, but straight away you take 10 cards and your signature weakness out, and that's your hunch deck. And the hunch deck operates... As we described on the front of the card, you flip the top card over at the start of the investigation phase, and during that phase, you can play it at minus two cost. If you don't play it, you shuffle the deck. So you don't lose the card, it just shuffles back in. It's an 11-card deck. Kind of interesting. Yes. I think we move on and read the signatures before we talk about the hunch deck, because they interact with it to a certain extent. Yes. Do you want to read the, the signature asset? Yes, yeah, so this is the Detectives Cult 1911s. I get so thrown by the fact that there's two and there's... It feels like it should be Detectives Cult's 1911s. Anyway, forecast, asset, intellect, combat, and wild icons, item, weapon, and firearm traded, takes up two hand slots. It's Joe's deck only, and it uses four ammo. 
up to two up to two tool up to two tool assets you control <laughs> do not take up hand slots. What an owl had just wandered in there. Two tool <laughs> Spend one ammo, fight. You get plus one combat and deal plus one damage for this attack. If this attack defeats an enemy, you may move an insight event from your discard pile to the bottom of your hunch deck. That's really nice. Giz has some built-in recursion. Yeah. Which I think is, is really smart. I really like that essentially this is a, it's a 45 automatic, 4 cost, 4 ammo, plus 1 combat, plus 1 damage. Does take up an extra hand slot, but if you kill an enemy, you pull an Elder Sign. <laughs> is the, basically what happens. You get your Elder Sign ability, kill an enemy, and you get to put an Insight event on the bottom of your Hunch deck. Obviously you don't get the Elder Sign for passing the test, but the same ability triggers. So you've got potentially four ways of adding cards back to your hunch deck just with the cult. And if you can then pull Elder Signs, potentially you can keep adding cards to the bottom. And worth noting that Joe's Elder Sign effect, you get to move the inside event regardless of success or failure. So even if you pull an Elder Sign on a willpower or agility test that you might then fail, you still get to sneak in an insight. So that's how you get I think, uh, insights I, there. Uh, I think, was it at, at, at Labyrinth, at Arkham in Flames, mm. I think someone at our table was playing Joe mm. and they drew an Elder Sign with the cult attack. <laughs> As they sh- yeah, okay, nice. And then the two, the two of the other people at the table, so me and someone else, we both only understood half... So I, I, I'd read the Elder Sign, and I was like, oh yeah, you get to put a card. And they went and put two cards on. And I was like, oh no, that's not how it works. And then the other person only knew how the guns worked, didn't know how the Elder <laughs> Sign worked. So we were both trying to know, why have you put two? Said, well, it's because of the Elder Sign. I, I know the Elder Sign, but why have you put two? <laughs> this is a little bit like me with your Corvids in root. No, 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 <laughs> yeah. you have to remove two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah similar thing. Uh, so, so just very briefly, tools. Yes. Because they interact with this. Two tools. Two tools. Uh, we have the fingerprint kit, the Hawkeye folding camera, and the magnifying glass currently as tools mm-hmm. that uh, that Joe can take. And flashlight. And flashlight. All cards he likes, mm-hmm. I would yeah. add. I would add. Maybe the flashlight less so, if he can take one of the other ones. Yeah, probably. But worth bearing in mind is mm-hmm. I think one of the things I've noticed about Joe is that he likes filling them hand slots. Octo Joe, yeah, yeah, he really enjoys doing that. Also worth noting, same thing we mentioned in the Leo episode. If you've already filled a hand slot and you then play the Detectives Cult 1911s, you don't have to discard something out of your hand slots if you're gaining the slots simultaneously from these guns. So you could have played a magnifying glass and a Hawkeye folding camera, and then play the Colts, and you're still fine for slots. Yes, which is pretty useful. One of the things we've said in the past about signature items is that the, the icons can give us an insight into insight into how the investigator plays. Mm. And obviously this has got an intellect, a combat, and a wild icon. So it's two two intellect or two combat icons. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. It's leaning into those stats. Yeah, the only no, other thing no I'd notice, really. it reminds me actually of Tony Morgan and his long cults. There's a similar thing where the additional ability that those weapons give you. So getting a bounty back on bounty contracts or getting a hunch card back is that you don't necessarily want to use this ammo unless it's for a killing shot. And there's a slight challenge then with the detective's cult because it takes up both of your hands. 
So if you want to kill anything with more than two health, you want to find ways of doing that so that the cult can be the final shot. Maybe yeah. it's using a vicious blow for a three health enemy or other things around that. It's just worth bearing in mind that sometimes I've tied myself in knots that I draw a four health enemy and I really want to only spend one ammo from the cult to kill it. So I need an, a way of doing two damage first. Yeah. There's something, again, quite thematic about this. It's the idea of him, like, with with Tony, he's almost like that killing shot, you know, in the, yeah. in the head the headshot to collect the bounty. Mm. With Joe, it's like... It's, it's very noir. It's that he he puts the the final couple of rounds through an enemy, mm. then he sits down and ponders and in black and white has a glass of whiskey. Yeah, there's a there's that idea of him like suddenly getting new knowledge when he's shot a ghoul and he's like, wait a second. Yeah, yeah, that confirms my hunch. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, weakness. Should we look at the weakness? Please. Yeah, yeah. Right. This is a four cost event. Ugh. And it's unsolved case weakness, and it has the insight trait, which is uh, obviously means it fits well in his deck, and uh, mystery traits. So it says, place one of your clues on the location with the highest shroud, remove unsolved case from the game. Forced, if unsolved case will be shuffled into your hunch deck, add it to your threat area instead. For the remainder of the game, it gains forced. When the game ends... Joe Diamond earns two fewer experience for this scenario. Ugh. So, so this is a potentially a confusing card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First up, you can still play this card even if you have no clues. Yep. It's a common rules question. It doesn't say then or anything on it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And because it's being played from your hunch deck, it also gets a cost reduction. So it actually costs two. Yes. Which means... If you have a clue, at minimum, your turn can be resource, resource, play and solve case. Yeah. If you don't uh, have a clue. Well, you, d- you don't even need to do that. Oh, yes. No, sorry. Yeah. You do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> even if you don't have a clue, you can yeah. do yeah. resource, resource, play this. And the trigger is when, if you don't manage to play it on your turn, it gets shuffled back into your deck. Yes. Because it says if it would be shuffled into your hunch deck. And we've got to remember that if we don't play the top hunch on our hunch deck, at the end of the investigation phase, it gets shuffled back in. So you have a window of a single turn to clear the unsolved case, to work on that case. So, so it, 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 at its minimum, it's a two-cost tax, really. And at its maximum, it's a, it's a real pain in the arse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes. as, as a clue disappears and ends up back on a seven-shroud location or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which you can't get back to. Yeah. So it, it, it's... Tricky. However, I will say the downside for it is earning too few experience. Mm. So it, what it doesn't do is impact the game you're playing at the moment. Yeah. And obviously, even in a, in a standalone, it it does nothing. So it's negligible. Yeah. The worst it's done in a standalone is is block your hunch deck up for a turn. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's a strange one where. At some points, it feels really punishing. If you reveal this final turn when you're just about to kill the final enemy or get the final clue, and you think, oh my goodness, if I play this, I'm taking an attack of opportunity, which wipes me out, or I'm losing a a victory point location I've cleared. But if I don't play it, I'm losing 2xp. That can be terrible. But there are other times where you see it and you think, oh, that's fine. You know, Likewise, in the final scenario of every campaign, this is just, you just ignore it. You just don't get a hunch for a turn. 
So that's pretty nice. The other thing is you can play around it pretty easily. Just never go below two resources. As long as you, well, never end your turn below two resources. Or even never end your turn below one resource because you'll gain one resource in upkeep. And that means you then have the two to play it if your next hunch is unsolved case. It then taxes you in action and those two resources and that's it. So yeah, it's not it's not too bad. I really like the fact that Joe has two decks, but both have weaknesses in. I think that's yeah, a really yeah. nice element that even his following of his hunches can follow him down, a, uh, lead him down a blind alley. Yes, absolutely, yes. Okay, well, what do we want to talk about first? I mean, we've got so many options here. <laughs> Should yeah. we talk about the insight deck, or the hunch deck? Because that's yeah. such a key part of Joe. I think so, yeah. We could probably spend the rest of the episode just talking about hunch decks, couldn't we? Mm, mm, yeah. So he has a 40-card deck. Ten cards go into the hunch deck along with Unsolved Case. They need to have the trait insight. Luckily, nearly every Seeker event has the insight trait. There are two that don't, Eidetic Memory and Ghastly Revelation. I think that's it, but I'm happy for the emails in or telling me I'm wrong. <laughs> but apart from that... Every other Seeker event has insight. So your I've got a plan, your mind over matter, your shortcut, your logical reasoning, your guidance, all of these cards are insight traded. But the Not big of them. caveat, <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean they're good fits for the hunch deck. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. i tell you what, let's talk through the Guardian cards I can go in, and then I'm going to pitch you a question. Okay, I'm ready. Right. So, I mean, actually, we can do a comprehensive list of these. We've yeah. got... Fool me once, delay the inevitable, emergency aid, evidence, interrogate, and scene of the crime. Mm-hmm. And we have seen a card in the Nathaniel deck, at least one that has the inside trait as well. So th- there's not a huge number of cards there. And what have we got? A healing card and then a few uh, clue cards. Yeah. Kind of fits quite well. Frank, what makes a good card to go in the inside deck? Mm, great question. Well, the insight deck is giving you a two cost reduction. So one thing that might be worth looking at is does the event cost two or because if or more? Because if it costs zero or one, you're not actually getting that reduction. But the other thing I would think about, which is raised to me by something like Fool Me Once, because you can't control which card you see on the hunch deck every turn, you want cards that are generally useful or that generally help Joe no matter the situation, rather than cards that are very specific. So Fool Me Once is fast, which is good, but it only costs one, so you don't get the full reduction. And that you play when you would discard a treachery card after resolving any of its effects. Most of the time, though not always, you'd be doing that in Mythos. So if you put Fool Me Once in your hunch deck, the chance that you get to trigger it is so slim. You've got a... (laughs) one or two in 11 chance that you see it, then you're also hoping that you have a treachery that's stuck around, maybe a frozen in fear or something like that, and that you then succeed at the test and that you then play for me once. So that to me is an illustration of a card that's really not good for the hunch deck. When you compare that with something like Scene of the Crime, it's two cost and it gets you a clue, could get you two clues if you have an enemy. So for Joe, first action, pay zero, get a clue. There's so many times that you can position yourself on a location with a clue. You might get the bonus of getting an enemy. You might not, but you're still then getting a testless clue for free. 
just spending a single action. And I think even if you look at working a hunch, yes, it's potentially even better because that's no actions and it gets you a clue. Yeah, working a hunch, I think, is the best card for the hunch deck. Appropriately enough. Yeah, exactly. It's two cost, it's fast, so if you're not at a location with a clue, as long as you can get to one during your turn, you then get the clue straight away. You get it for free. There's a whole way of playing Joe that's about recurring working a hunch in your hunch deck. All of those Elder Signs. And I'd say that probably 95% of the time that I've killed an enemy with the cults, it's working a hunch that's gone in my hunch deck. Yes, yes. I mean, there's something to be said for recurring some of those high experience, high value seeker mm-hmm. events. So say a cryptic research or a no stone and turn level five. Yep. If you've got either of those in your deck. I mean, no stone and turn level five becomes bonkers good in your hunch deck. Yeah. So that's free, fast. Any investigator gets a card. Yes. <laughs> Which is good. It's very yeah. good. But um, not necessarily. I think cryptic research especially, I think, is maybe better in your main deck than it is in your hunch deck. Mm. So tell me about that. Why Why would it be better? Well, I, I, th- I don't think it's a clear cut. Um, I don't think there's any clear cut here because if we view the, the, the hunch deck, and um, if we boil it down, it's effectively giving you a free draw mm-hmm. and a two cost reduction. So a, a free draw and, and two money, it's giving you every turn. Mm-hmm. If you can reliably use those events, which yep. is why you've alluded to, you want events that you can play as much as often in there. Yeah. Because really, I'd, I don't think I've ever seen someone burn right through the hunch deck over the course mm. of a game. I'm, sh- I'm sure you can, but especially considering you've got so many ways of restocking it. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you're in an epic depths of Yoth run, eventually you'll run out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so you need to be able to use them as much as possible, the cards in your hunch deck. The, the, if you want to look at it just purely from a maths term, whatever event you've put in, if it's a cryptic research into your hunch deck for is then in your deck and then when you draw that card you have to play it paying two resources so effectively the free draw from the cryptic research from the the hunch deck would have drawn you the cryptic research or whatever the card was Mm. anyway so you're not saving an action not drawing the card if you see what i mean because you would have Mm -hmm. drawn the two cost event but then also you're playing cryptic research without the two cost reduction yeah yeah Sorry, I think I'm talking... Am I making sense? I think you are, yeah. My <laughs> my mind slightly wandered, apologies, to the, thought, to, to the thought as well that you don't get to control when you play Cryptic Research if it's on your hunch deck. Well, that is true. I think Cryptic Research is a good example here because there's not many situations where you don't just want to play it straight away. Mm-hmm. You might want to use it on an ally, I guess. Yeah. You might be at max hand size, so you don't want to overload your hand, mm-hmm. potentially. Yeah. Um, but I think, broadly speaking, it's such a flexible card. You just play it as soon as you draw it. Yeah, I, I think, broadly speaking, that's the case too. It's not the worst possible case scenario here, but seeing Cryptic Research on the Hunch deck, when you have a full hand, you've got two weaknesses left in your main deck, You know, another investigator is worried about decking out because they're on high horror, you might see a situation where you actually really don't want to draw it, but you would like to see other hunches in your deck. You know, in the way that if I see working a hunch and there aren't clues to get, I don't mind working a hunch shuffling back in. Yeah, it's maybe it's a small detail, I think, but it's an interesting one. I don't I, like you said. I don't think it's clear cut, and I've seen people playing with cryptic research in their hunch deck. I've also seen someone put it in their hunch deck and not see it. Yeah, uh, they did that, and no stun on turn five, and the two cards just didn't turn up. 
And that feels really sad. You know, they shuffled the hunch deck a couple of times and it just didn't come up for them. And that's, you know, nine or can even be like 14 experience that you've put in the hunch deck and you can't see in the way that you actually can go and fetch experience from your own deck. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this this is a, a, an argument for making sure that deck is full of cards that you can, you can play as much as possible. What you might, of course, want to do is put in a, a high impact XP card mm. that costs some 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 resources to play. I'm thinking maybe of something like Deciphered Reality. Yeah, I think that's a good which example. Which might be more specific in terms of when you can play it, mm. but does feel quite good when it turns up on the deck and you've got an opportunity to use it for 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 half price for two resources. Yeah. I tell you what, it just while we're talking about cryptic research, I do think preposterous sketches is good in your hunch deck. Absolutely. Because that so turns into the level two version of preposterous sketches for free. Yes, yeah. And that raises a an interesting point for me. I think preposterous sketches is really good in the hunch deck. Zero cost for three cards, but spends an action. But I'm a bit hesitant about putting four XP cryptic research in the hunch deck. So is the, you know, and, and preposterous sketches, you need a clue on your location to play it as well. So maybe I'm, maybe I need to interrogate my own thinking a little bit more there because I'd always say that preposterous sketches zero is good in the hunch deck. And I'd be a little bit more hesitant about cryptic research. Maybe it's because I think preposterous sketches is so good in the hunch deck that then spending four XP for an only slightly better card doesn't seem worth it. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. What makes up your ideal hunch deck then? Well, this is the thing. So, I, And I guess there's two ways you can go after this. Mm. I think there's lots of good cards that get clues that can go in your hunch deck. Mm-hmm. It's seeker events, and the more broadly applicable seeker events tend to be ones that get you clues or yep. draw you cards. Yep. They tend to be the ones that are good to play no matter what. Yeah. And as we said, the Guardian ones are the same. Mm-hmm. So I think the hunch deck is maybe best built up as a way of getting clues cheaply. Mm-hmm. And I guess at that point, that leaves the rest of your deck to either get, to, to super focus on getting clues and become a super seeker. You yeah. can also, if needs be, do a little bit of fighting or to diversify a bit. And then you can use the rest of your deck for the other fight events, other yeah. fighting cards, various the types. The muscle. The yeah. muscle, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't I know what I you think about agreed, that. Yeah. Yeah. For a while, the core of my hunch deck has been two working a hunch, two preposterous sketches, two no stone unturned. So I've got filter draw, mass draw, and clues. And then the last four cards I play around with, but recently, Scene of the Crime has been another one. So I've then got four cards in the hunch deck that are just get a clue. Yeah. And then I f- feel like cards 9 and 10, often I end up with logical reasoning, maybe emergency aid, and I sort of toy with that. Yeah, I like logical reasoning because there is that way of removing terror cards, which might help Joe, depending on the campaign. Yeah. And also he has six sanity, so there's often occasions where healing to horror for free seems worth it. And you know, particularly if you've taken trauma, I might even play a logical reasoning to heal one horror, and then that's one hunch out of the deck, which is quite nice. There's normally occasions to do that. Yeah. Um, that would be kind of my core. I'm just looking down this list and thinking, truth from fiction. Oh, you and truth from fiction. It's too cost. 
Yeah. If you're playing secrets, I mean, I guess playing Mr. Rook. Well, we've we've talked about this. You can you could potentially add three Astounding Revelation and two Rook to any deck and kind of make it better. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I ran a one X Truth from Fiction in your hunch deck. Yeah. You do, just... you do need to have seen Rook to be able to play it first. So it'd be a real shame if it's the top card in a hunch deck and you've not well, played Rook. It would also but... work on what other secret cards can he take? I mean, in the no, he could take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's two remote investigations. Yeah. If he's doing like an ancient stones thing, potentially. It's more hand slots. It's more hand slots indeed, yeah. Team Covenant are doing a run through um, of Carcosa mm-hmm. with Joe Diamond. And one of the cards he's put in to his hunch deck, uh, or he put in early on, is extensive research. Mm. And yes. I, I, actually, I think that's maybe quite good in the hunch deck. Yeah. If you've got a hand of, say, six cards, that's then yeah. two to play to get yeah. two clues, which is the same as connect the dots. Just without the condition. Without the condition, yeah. Obviously, connect the dots can find clues remotely. Run us through extensive research, because that's a fairly new card that people might Yeah, it's, so, so it's, it's, it's one XP, and it's discover two clues at your location. So mm-hmm. it's, it's an action to discover two clues. However, it costs ten. Yeah. So it costs eight off your hunch deck, uh, yeah. but it does have the text reduce the cost to play extensive research by one for each other card in your hand. So even with four cards in your hand, you're playing that at four. So four to find two clues. Mm-hmm. Sort of, I mean... That's Intel report level. Yeah, and, and it's double working a hunch level, which obviously doesn't take an action. But mm-hmm. So yeah, it's good. I think in you consider like if you're playing two-player... You might see like a, a, a one-eye location that has six shroud or something like that. Mm, and paying yeah. that money to get both the clues at that location, it's, it saves you a huge amount in um, the resources you might invest. Yeah, yeah. And I you could so. also like, if it's your turn, you do like draw, draw, and then play extensive research or something like that. Mm. I mean, it's another argument I would say for keeping cryptic research in hand, that the time you want to spike how many cards you have in hand is the time that you have extensive research revealed at the top of your hunch deck. So you maybe hold on from playing cryptic research, and then at that moment, extensive research comes up, you play cryptic research, go up to nine cards in hand, say, and then you're getting two clues for free. Potentially, it's like that idea of like hold on to the draw. If we're saying that we're packing the deck with clue, the hunch deck with clue cards and with draw, we should expect Joe to have a big hand of cards anyway which means extensive research is more likely to be powerful. If you can get to the point where your hand is large and just generally, just most of the time, whenever you see extensive research, if you're playing it for free to get a clue, that's still reasonable you know. Yeah. at that point. That's scene of the crime levels. But maybe that's a slightly different build. Just while, while I've got um, Team Covenant on my mind, mm, yeah. the other card that Zach's using, which I've been really surprised by, is um, Practice Makes Perfect. Mm. And actually, this ties into if you do... That is not an insight event. It's not, no. Yeah, there we go. There's three. It's a gambit. Tactic and gambit, yeah. And actually, when you look at the card pool, there are some really nice uh, Seeker and Guardian. So... Take the initiative, it's practice, mm-hmm. uh, vicious blow, deduction, 
mm-hmm. overpower perception. <laughs> yeah. So it's it, it's actually a really good card. And when you consider you can put in, we were just talking about Astounding Revelation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you play Practice Makes Perfect and you get double use of those and you get two resources, mm-hmm. that's, that, that feels like a really nice play. Yeah, um, yeah. Practice Makes Perfect is an insanely good card. I, and I, I've never really even thought about it. Mm. Yeah, I would really recommend it. I feel like it does require a certain degree of building around it. You know, you've got to think about your skill suite then. But yeah. I think, broadly speaking, I would do well to think about my skill suite a bit more anyway. Like, I think it's a good thing to do. And I think the ability it gives you to commit a card to the test and then reuse it is... That doesn't seem like amazing, but that is stellar. Like because you could also do it with vicious blow two or deduction two. Yeah, absolutely. So you, get, yeah. you get three clues, and you have the deduction two then in hand to go and get another three clues. Just insane levels of value. the The risk, of course, is that you have to hit it. But yes, that's where if again if you're playing Joe and you're drawing cards like a demon, you're maybe starting to get to the point where you can go. Hang on, there's. 12 cards left in my deck and I know that I've got two practiced skills left. I'm going to play practice makes perfect. You know, you can you can toggle that. You can you can make a good assessment on that as a player. And I think any Joe player probably would be thinking about those things. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, if, if I was going to go back and do a Joe deck now, I'd almost certainly use that, build that in, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we've started talking about the main deck. There's one obvious super advantage that he only has one weakness in there. Yeah. Because his signature weakness is in the hunch deck. So that is another reason why he might want to draw heavily. Depending on what his signature weakness is. Uh, his basic weaknesses. Is. Yeah. Then more broadly, we sort of started to touch on it. But my experience of building the main deck is that it normally is fairly asset and skill heavy. Because I've got this suite of events that I know are in the hunch deck. So I might have something like, say, emergency cash. Or even, say, like an ever vigilant or something like that as events maybe a dodge but then i'm not really leaning too heavily into events the other event i find i don't like putting in the hunch deck is shortcut yes i like to be able to choose when i play that card well i think uh it it really and i'm going to use this word frank and i'm not going to apologize for Mm. it uh, it really behooves joe to have Mm. some some mobility in his deck yeah Pathfinder, I think, is really good. And I yep. think Shortcut's really good as well. Because positioning for him can be really key. Mm, yes, because he wants yeah. to be in the right place to play things like Scene of the Crime, if it's in his yeah. hunch deck. If he needs to get those two clues with his extensive research, he wants to be standing on the High Shroud location that has two clues on it mm, when yeah. that pops up on his deck. And if he's two moves away, that's a really tricky turn. It's move, move, get the two clues. If yeah. he can make those two moves without spending an action, you know, mm, he's he's mm. he's overjoyed. Yeah, the other situation I'm thinking of is you've drawn the enemy, you've revealed the scene of the crime on the top of your deck, there are no clues in your location. Yeah. You're like, damn it! But shortcut in hand, if there's any connecting location with clues, you, you shortcut in, it. it's not your first action, it's free, so then you get those clues. So, yeah, I think it behooves you to have mobility is very, very apt because that actually then opens up the impact the hunch deck can have if your main deck has given you mobility. We've mentioned skills already with Practice Makes Perfect. You know, he's got options for a lot of wild icons if he wants them with Take the Initiative and Inquiring Mind. And then he's also got some really nice skills available to him in Seeker. So Eureka and Deduction. And then 
you've already touched on Vicious Blow as well. And I think also Steadfast can be quite useful for him. Yeah. He's got a decent enough health and sanity pool, so he can be getting a, a nice combat boost with it or a nice willpower boost. The notable absence for me there is is agility protection, unless you're using wild icons for it. And I've actually noticed that sometimes, you know, a scenario with, say, grasping hands or with just direct damage, he can get whittled down quite quickly with his health pool as well. Yeah. And that's where maybe a delayed inevitable or an emergency aid in the hunch deck. It's, you know, my first thought was that, well, I don't need health healing. I just need horror healing. But actually, sometimes a you know cheeky one-off health healing can be quite useful in larger parties as well. Maybe you don't need it for you, but you've got a low health fellow investigator at Seth or Marie and just chucking out some healing for free to them is is no bad thing. So yeah, so like I've I've often played him with quite a lot of skills and found that quite fun. And then the asset suite, I mean you mentioned the hands. You you're probably packing more weapons if you want weapons so that you can do final shots with the Colt. Yes. So that's some hands straight away. So then maybe you're packing a bandolier. So yeah, well this hold. The, yeah. This is where it gets tricky for me because I think mm. If you want to lean into that combat, he needs to be taking some other weapons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you've got weapons. You've also got tools, if you're taking tools. And you've got a double hand slot signature asset, mm-hmm. which is going to make you discard the other weapons you've got. <laughs> yeah. Um, if not the tools. It's it's a tricky one. Yeah. So he's a little bit like that noir detective who settles down and cleans all his guns and sorts out all his gear. You know, he's got all the different kit that he sort of has prepared, maybe stashed in his boot, and he's ready to to roll. And sometimes it can be a little bit of a puzzle with Joe. I've got maybe an enchanted blade in hand and a forty-five automatic and the Colt. Which do I play first? Do I, you know? Am I playing a bandolier? And I feel like this complication is only compounded by what ally you take. We've mentioned Rook. I've yeah. also seen Joe played with Milan because he wants lots of resources to play all these assets. Yeah, yeah. Beat Cop is a great include as well. Yeah, yeah. I think Alice. Alice Luxley, yeah. Not, not necessarily damage, a, bad, yeah. a bad slot. Yeah. Especially when you've got... a really good three health enemy solution. Yeah, well, if you play the scene of the crime... Yeah, or the enemy ping for a damage, yeah. kill him, and put the scene of the crime back on your hunch deck. Or even, I think... So when I played Mandy, I played mm. her as a kind of clue dropping. So use quick mm. study. Yeah. If you've got a lot of auto clues in your hunch deck, maybe that's a route you could go with Joe as well. Yeah, maybe Malison, Malison. upgrading into quick study or something like that. Yeah. And he gives you some control over the encounter deck as well, which might help for someone with willpower too. Absolutely. So there's like there's a lot of choice there. A lot of players generally like to run Charisma, but I find Joe is one of the really good targets for Charisma because because of the pool and what it's offering him. It feels like, yeah, it can be really crowded working out which ally to run and why and, and how that all works together. I, I think it also, you know, one of the challenges running him in solo is if you lean too hard into your clue stuff, you can be caught a little bit high and dry with an enemy. And if you lean too hard into fighting... Unless your auto clue hunches come up, you can be a little bit stuck being like, okay, I can in- investigate at four, which is decent, but at anything above shroud two, it becomes a little bit challenging and I need to make sure I've got the icons or whatever it is to pitch. So it starts to be a, an odd balancing act. 
there's another thing I'd mention as well if you want to lean heavily into fighting with Joe, which is that he doesn't have access to any high XP weapons. The best he can go to is the 45 automatic level 2 or the machete if you're playing taboo. So there's a point at which he starts to really hurt for damage output. Yeah, You know, he can take 45 level 2, a beat cop level 2, a vicious blow level 2. It's still decent, but when he really wants to just start laying out the huge amounts of hurt, he can get a little bit stuck. And yeah, that I think can be a little bit of a blind alley for Joe players that they go like, yeah, at lower levels, I'm a really good fighter. And then five or six scenarios into the campaign, they start to be falling behind. I'm thinking about mindless dancers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. Like he can really struggle against some big enemies like that or just or just the sort of longevity of damage. Yeah, I notice I'm maybe sliding to the slightly negative here about Joe and what he can't do. But what do you enjoy about Joe? To me, it's there's a there's an element of I think the hunch deck works really well to thematically represent a, a sudden idea, mm. and then you you can adapt your turn. I don't know whether you do the thing where at the end of the round you start to plot your next turn as a group. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and then you say, "Oh no, we need to do the mythos phase." Uh, so we'll do that, and then we'll start the plot again. And then Joe says, oh no, I need to flip over my card. Yeah, plans out the window. I plans need two resources to play Unsolved Case. Yeah, yeah, or, oh no, I've got uh, Scene of the Crime as an enemy here, so I can I can get these two clues without, you know, for a single action. Or I've got mm-hmm. Working the Hunch, so I can get that clue off that High Shroud location. Yeah. Or we don't yeah. need to tackle that locked door anymore because I can get those clues. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that. It's like, oh yeah, uh, Joe, I've got an idea. He's a bit impulsive in that way, isn't he? It's like sudden impulse, I'll do this. I've also sometimes found in multiplayer, the Joe player, just because you can play a hunch doesn't necessarily mean you should. Like <laughs> yeah. there's that thing of you're like, oh, brilliant, working a hunch. There's a clue three locations away. So if I pathfind, shortcut, move, I can buy the clue. And it's like, we don't need that clue. You know, you don't have to run off. It's the same way with Ursula, the Ursula player always wanting to move. It's like, sometimes yeah, yeah. you don't need to move. You <laughs> no, know. but but I don't get my bonus in this. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can pathfind here, field work, then get a free investigate, which can be used to unearth the ancient. He's like, you don't need to do that. You can, you can just move just, on. Just sit down. Yeah. I think mentioning Ursula for me, playing solo as a seeker, you've got some really great advantages around how normally reliable they are with clues. And one of the things I really like about Joe as a solo investigator is that he is reliable with clues, but in a pretty different way that this hunch deck is providing you with these little treats and and things to keep you going and it's not simply that he most seekers will have some ability that allows them to get four clues a turn to investigate three times plus a bonus one somehow yeah most seekers and the way joe does that is very unique to joe if i looked at someone playing if i couldn't see the investigator i feel like i could identify if it was Joe, just by the way that they play. And obviously seeing a, a weird extra deck would give it away. But yeah, there's a, there's something that feels very distinct about his play style, that he's not just going to camp in a location hoovering clues. He might do that, but he doesn't need to. Yeah. The other thing I've noticed about Joe that I do really like is that he can assemble a really large rig and run lots of static boosts as a result. Yeah. So you could run a Alice Luxley and a Beat Cop or a Milan and a Beat Cop and then also charge up a camera. And then if you're running the Bandolier level two, that gives you willpower boost as well. 
So you maybe end up with a, a really kind of impressive stat line of like four willpower, six intellect, five combat. You know, like you front load the stats really well there. And that I feel is, it's challenging to do solo, but in multiplayer he can really develop into this sort of awesome machine and that's really fun to play. It's a bit combo-y, I guess. Like yeah, it's, yeah. It's big, big setup. It, it <laughs> yeah. requires lots of pieces. But if anyone's going to find the pieces, it's Seeker. And yeah, he's so flexible then with what he does with them because he can fight or conclude. He's also, he's a real progress investigator, isn't he? You know, the, the stats of progress are combat and intellect. And he really leans into that. Yeah, yeah. He's what you and I would call like an offensive investigator. So he's, yes, he's on the yeah. offense. <laughs> he's hugely offensive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's on the offensive, trying to kill enemies and find clues, isn't he? Yes. So he's yeah. progressing the act rather than defending against the mythos necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I kind of I'm now getting an itch to want to play him in a in a multiplayer group. Yeah, yeah. Maybe with someone else who can sort of reliably get clues as well. So who's here's a question which isn't necessarily in the theme of the episode. Mm-hmm. Who, who's the Who's the perfect counterpart to Joe? Who's the ultimate defensive investigator? Mm. Well, if we just invert the stat line, yeah, we have someone like a Seth. Yeah, fours in willpower and agility can avoid most things the Mythos throws at her and can turn those stats into offense if they want. Then the other person with that kind of stat line is Wendy. Yeah, yeah, Wendy's really resilient in that way. I would have almost gone with. Diana, yeah, who's yeah, yeah. I think she's queen of cancellation, really. Mm, um, so yeah. she, she's unparalleled in her ability to prevent the mythos deck doing bad stuff to you. Yeah, yeah, she just locks it down, and the more she does that, the more powerful she gets. Yeah, and which which allows her to keep stopping the mythos doing what it wants to do. Yeah, absolutely. I funnily enough that you mentioned Diana, I actually the very first name I thought of was Agnes. Yeah, yeah. And Agnes even then turns suffering into damage, which is also its own way of sort of leveraging that defense. Yeah, I think they could all pair quite nicely with with Joe. And if you think of Joe as somewhat flex, because he has this option for the Guardian combat side, adding someone else who can flex, who's maybe using willpower and agility in some way, is pretty useful. You know, Diana can get clues pretty reasonably. She can fight pretty reasonably. And she can defend against the mythos, yeah. Cool. Anything left over for you? I don't think so, no. It's been really fun talking about Joe. Mm. He's, a, he's, he's, a, he's a really fun kind of dynamic character to be playing. And and there's like the mini game of having his deck mm. um, as well. It's an extra bit of fun to try and dig into that. Yeah. He's quite like, interestingly enough, there's been a, a champion, oh, sorry, a hero come out for Marvel Champions. Mm. Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange, who basically yeah. works the same. <laughs> yes, yeah, the he same has a little he's, spell deck. He's got a little spell deck, yeah, and he, the way he kind of interacts. And, and my friend, who, who's more into, uh, I'll name him Neil because he heard me name him a few episodes ago, and he's quite quite excited. Um, yeah. Hi <laughs> it, Neil. Hi Neil. He, he messaged me after I told him this, and he's, like, oh, I've just looked at Joe. Uh, he's exactly the same. I really want to play him now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the hunch deck again, because I've also noticed in solo that sometimes the tactical thing to do, as I already mentioned, is not to play your hunch because you've just stacked the bottom of the hunch deck with three more insight cards. And you want to shuffle them back. You want to shuffle them back. 
And the other thing I'd say is that even though I said I wouldn't put shortcut in the hunch deck, if I've played shortcut and I'm getting towards the end of a scenario, if I kill an enemy or pull an elder sign, I would be tempted to put shortcut back into the hunch deck because what I want then is just tempo. I might not need clues anymore. And actually there's this weird transition that we've not really talked about of, you know, the ideal is that you just keep putting working a hunch back into your hunch deck and you keep getting testless clues. But it might be towards the end of the scenario, all you really need is to soak a bit of damage and horror. So you really want a delay the inevitable to go into that hunch deck or or whatever else it is. And I really enjoy that. I mean, it's a really hard thing to evaluate and talk about in any detail because it's so scenario dependent and so deck dependent. But you don't have to just keep the same 10 cards in there. It can evolve, which is, yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well... Let us know your Joe thoughts. Do you think he's one of the premier solo investigators or have you run into trouble with him? Is there something we've missed? You can let us know. Drawn to the Flame podcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter and Facebook as Drawn to the Flame and we're on Patreon and Designed by Humans. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am United everywhere. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on uh, Twitter and Discord and Instagram as United. So say hello. How about you, Frank? I'm FB or FEB or Zooey Glass or Zozo in various different places. Thanks very much for listening. Thank you. Thank you.